Welcome to the Truth Labyrinth Podcast. I am your host, J.R. Everhart from Restoration Ministries. This week, we look into a Celebrate Recovery step study program titled The Journey Begins. Uh, Celebrate Recovery is a Christian 12-step program. Uh, the step study series is a 26-lesson um, deep dive into the steps. We kind of take the steps and and tear them apart and put them under the microscope and take a look at how they can better apply to our hurts, habits, and hangups in life. Um, this is not a replacement for face-to-face meetings, so please go to your local Celebrate Recovery meeting and get involved in a face-to-face step study. Trust me, it will change your life. You will hear me say that over and over throughout this teaching series. So you can go to CelebrateRecovery.org and do a search in your area, and you will find a Celebrate Recovery in your area. They are literally everywhere. There's thousands of those uh, operating in churches all over the country. So uh, make sure you strap in and hold on because this is going to be a wild ride. It's going to get bumpy, it's going to be clumsy, and it's going to be uncomfortable at times. But the benefits far outweigh the discomfort that we deal with as we look inside the mirror of God's Word and our behavior. So you do not want to miss a second of this teaching series. Hi, I want to talk to you for a second about my company, COP Audio. COP Audio has been a leader in the Mid-Atlantic since about the mid-90s with all forms of production work, um, both inside the church and outside the church. Uh, We're well known for our mobile audio services and production services for live concerts and festivals. Um, But we also have just as rich of a history inside the church scene. Uh, Church production has definitely been a passion of mine since... I became a, a Christian in 1994. Um, I have worn many hats during this time inside of um, you know the church scene. You know things like having to be light designer and video producer, teacher, you know training staff, uh, been tech director at a couple different churches. Um, it's something that I've always been very passionate about, and genuinely felt like it was part of my Christian ministry. Um, I've trained personally dozens and dozens of tech people and tech staff uh, throughout the mid-Atlantic. I've traveled around and done uh, sound reinforcement workshops and AV workshops um, on site with the church tech teams that I'm working with, trying to help them to get the best out of the systems that they have in place. So, you know, give us a call, check us out. Uh, We'd love to help out your church. We'd love to maybe even talk to you about uh, doing a system upgrade or an install Um, Maybe you just need someone to come in and make sense of the gear that you have. That's my specialty, you know, and I've been doing that for many, many years. So uh, check us out online at copaudio.com. That's copaudio.com. Be sure to check out and like our Facebook page, COP Audio. Just search COP Audio on Facebook. Uh, Be sure to read our reviews on the Facebook page. There's a lot of reviews on there from our clients and, um, I think it'll give you some some perspective on who we are as a company. So again, online, copaudio.com, copaudio.com. All right, welcome back. This episode, we were in Lesson 12, Confess. And I have to confess that this is my third attempt (laughs) at trying to record this episode. Um, the enemy is throwing everything and the kitchen sink in the kitchen sink factory at me. 
uh, to keep me away from the microphone. But it feels good to be back into um, the Truth Labyrinth podcast here. So, you know, bear with me, guys. Trying to make it happen. We're over the hump of inventory now. You should have a sponsor. You should have some accountability people around you. At the very least, you should have uh, someone you've chosen in your life to bring you close by your side as you travel through this uh, process of recovery. We are in uh, principle four and step five. Principle four says, openly examine and confess my faults to myself, to God, and to someone I trust. Happy are the pure in heart. Matthew 5, 8, and step five is we admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed, James five sixteen. That's like my number third favorite scripture in the whole Bible. So we're going to dissect that today and go through a whole bunch of business here and try to squeeze it into my hectic schedule. Uh, let's see, I got a note here that says, first read the story of Jessica, um, and the lie from the leader's guide. I actually recorded this about a week or so ago and, uh, was probably, I would say one of the best, uh, episodes I have recorded in some time. Uh, just to find out that when I was done with the recording, when I was finished with the recording, I want to speak proper English here to the best of my ability, that uh, there was something wonky going on with my microphone and my uh, my DA converter, my processor that gets me into the laptop, and it sounded like I was talking in a 10K in the whole time, and I really, really spent a lot of time trying to fix that and make it presentable. And even, you know... You know, even even tempted to just post a thing, you know, because I thought it was that on. So um, let, let's let's hope we can nail it, you know. Third time's a charm here. Uh, does the name Jessica McClure trip your memory in any way? Uh, this was basically, I'm just going to give you the synopsis of the story here. This is basically the uh, story of the little girl in Midland, Texas, who had fell down a, a, uh, a well, and she was... Uh, trapped in that well uh, for, golly, what does it say here? She's in an abandoned well. About 400 people took part in the 58-hour rescue attempt. 58 hours. That's over two days. This little girl was trapped in the well. Um, her screams and cries could be clearly heard at ground surface, and um, you can only imagine what that would be like. I'm someone who... Uh, struggles a little bit with claustrophobia in my old age here, in my ripe old age of 49. Um, so I cannot even wrap my head around what that would have been like, especially for a scared little girl. Um, so, yes, yeah, so, I mean, they they had you know put together a plan, a two-part plan, which was first, let's get somebody down to her. And then, uh, you know, second would be to just get her out of the well. And the whole idea behind that was that, you know, when you are isolated for long periods of time, your mind will start playing tricks on you, you know, and that sort of thing. Um, and it will, it's vitally important we have someone there with us to walk this out. Um, 
when people like us get serious about uh, recovery, I'm just going to read you some of this, uh, about spiritual growth, we go on a 12-step spiritual adventure. When we take the first step, we admit that we have some problems uh, that make our lives unmanageable. When we turn to God and say, God, I need your help with those problems, then we might feel as though we are free-falling. In a sense, we are. We are out of control in a way. Uh, we are no longer, uh, we can no longer live the way that we used to live. The old ways just don't work anymore. To complicate matters on the way down, we find that the problem that we admitted in step one is really being driven by a whole collection of character defects, which have been growing five feet under the surface of life. Yeah, let, let's read that again. Um, to complicate matters on the way down, we find that the problem that we admitted in step one when we stepped out of our denial is really being driven by a whole collection of character defects which have been growing five feet under the surface of our life. I was just listening to some of Jay Stringer's book, Unwanted, today, and he was talking about how, you know, sin isn't what's tripping us up. You know, we tend to bathe in a state of sin out of the suffering from these character defects. You know, that we don't know how to cope. We don't know how to process our emotions correctly. We don't know how to process recovery. We don't know how to process our life without our little niche thing that we always did to feel better. You know, for some that's chemicals, drugs, and alcohol. For others, it's workaholism or control issues. Codependency is a huge one we deal with. Um, you know, sex addiction is another one for a lot of men. Like, I think it's 87% of the male population, um, you know, is struggling with some form of sex addiction, porn addiction, something like that. And when we take those quick fixes out of our life, you know, if we don't have somebody there to help guide us and to help us, you know, um, navigate life without those negative things, then we kind of just feel lost. You know, we don't, we know we shouldn't do X, Y, and Z, but at the same time, we don't know how to deal with the state of suffering that we find ourselves in. And believe me, I can identify with that 1,000% in my own life. Um, you have to inventory these character defects. Uh, that's what we just completed was the inventory of all that. As we had talked about in the last uh, three or four weeks, you have to list them, admit them, and own them. You need to take responsibility for your pride, anger, envy, lust, greed, gluttony, sloth. You know, the big seven, the big seven sins, the seven deadly sins. So during the last couple months, if you worked um, step four honestly and thoroughly, you, know, you might be feeling as if you were trapped at the bottom of a deep, dark well. If you stare, stay there long enough, you can become disoriented and wonder why uh, you took this recovery journey to begin with. You might feel like you want to bail out at this time. You might start making statements like, you know that I am a real messed up man. The truth about me is that um, I'm a royally messed up woman. No one's collections of sins and character defects are as bad as mine. Boy, I've been there. Uh, if anyone ever found out the truth about me, why would they 
or they would never have anything to do with me the rest of my life. My brain's going in about six different directions here at once reading this um, because I will add to that list, you know, how can anyone ever love someone as broken as me? And uh, that's a subject for a whole other podcast, but that's definitely part of that thought process. That is what I have labeled the lie. Those are the things that the enemy whispers into our ears to keep us focused on our character defects and our failures. Some of you get to the point and say, why don't I just bail out on this program? Why don't I just go back to projecting an image of adequacy to everyone and not deal with all of the unsettling truth about myself? Yeah, I was just uh, talking on Facebook uh, yesterday inside of a post, I don't even remember what the post was about now, but a, a, a good buddy of mine's girlfriend was on there and her and I were kind of conversing back and forth about what Christianity looks like. I think it might have been the post that I put up about just, you know, kind of making a statement of faith with all the chaos in the world and, you know, all that junk and everything. I had put this long post up about where my loyalty lies. And I think it was inside that, that post that, um, you know, I was saying, you know, the God of today is self-sufficiency and, and denial, you know, telling ourselves that we can handle it. We don't need anyone else. Um, we've all been brainwashed to believe that if you can't be self-sufficient, you're somehow weak or inadequate. Um, and that is an absolute trap. And using these principles of confession that we were talking about today, we're going to learn how to like walk out of that mess. So after writing an inventory, we must deal with uh, what we have written. The first way to do this is to confess our sins to God. Uh, let's review the acrostic for confess. C, confess your shortcomings, resentments, and sins. God wants us to come clean. We need to admit that uh, what is wrong is wrong. We're guilty as charged. We need to own up to the sins that we discovered in our inventory. Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen says, whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Uh, I was listening to a podcast yesterday. It's all my little side notes here, so just bear with me because I'm severely ADD. Um, Porn-free radio. You know, it's absolutely amazing, you know, uh, ministry to men who are, are trying to live above the temptations of porn. And uh, they were they were talking about this, you know. They were talking about the power of people just being gut level honest about where they are. That when guys come into their group sessions and try to act like they have everything together, and yeah, they got a problem, but I'm managing it, you know. That that doesn't do anything for the group. But when a guy comes in and says, you know what, I'm in a state of relapse right now, or I've had a slip, or you know, I just feel lost in my addiction or in my you know compulsive behaviors. And, um, you know, I'm broken, man, and I need help, you know, and I just can't seem to get it right. Then that's when the, the flower of, of group therapy and the flower of open share, as we call it in Celebrate Recovery, blooms. It's in that. You know, I, I've said in a lot of open shares where, you know, we kind of go around the room and I usually try to go last. That way I can share in a way that responds to what was said from my own struggles and my own journeys. And I typically am the guy who is real quick to be 
the most messed up guy in the room because I don't have junk. I'm just not about that. You know, I lived that life. I'm not going back, you know, so I'm very transparent that way. And it's amazing to see how guys are still operating in layers of denial, you know, refusing to just be real and to be honest about where they are, you know, and about, you know, uh, where their situation is. And that doesn't get us anywhere. You know, um, the purpose of sin is to keep us humble and totally dependent on God and Jesus. You know, and anytime we step into that process and think we have it under control and that we have some sort of power over, um, you know, the evil of this world, we are seriously deceived. The only power we have over this world is through Christ. You know, we were we are all things through Christ, not through Jesus, or I mean, not through Jr., not through, you know, Tammy or Mary or or, or Kevin or whoever. Fill in the blank, through Jesus, in and of ourselves, we are absolutely powerless. Uh, it's only through the authority of the believer that we bring any kind of uh, any kind of control into our situation. You know, we we practice self control and discipline through our relationship with Christ. When our relationship with Christ is correct and um, our focus is on Him and our motives are toward holiness, then a natural byproduct of that is a lifestyle of behavior that reflects that. Not perfect behavior, but but behavior that has a trajectory of holiness. You may have a bad day here or there, may even have a bad week or a month, but the long marathon walk that is Christianity reflects holiness in their life. The next letter, O, obey God's directions. Principle four sums up God's directions uh, for confessing our sins. Number one, uh, this is like subsection one, uh, we confess our sins to God. As surely as I am the living God, says the Lord, everyone will kneel before me and everyone will confess that I am God. Every one of us then will have to give an account to God. That's Romans 14, 11, and 12. Um, and some of these translations really jack me up trying to read them because I'm so used to King James and living and, you know, some of that stuff. Amplified even. Uh, New King James is probably my favorite. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, on the surface, let's be careful because, you know, the enemy can twist that scripture into believing, well, then why do I need Jesus if I'm going to have to give an account to God? Well, yes, the Bible clearly does state that we're all going to give an account for every idle word. But if you're a believer in Christ, Jesus is going to be standing there saying, yeah, and I paid the price for all that. So make sure you're applying Christ's sacrifice of Calvary to your life correctly. Uh, Number two, we share them with another person who we trust. This comes back to my third favorite scripture in the Bible, James 5, 16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. There's a two-part process here. You first confess your sins to God. He forgives you. He's faithful and just. Anyone who confesses your sins before him, he will always 100% of the time forgive you and will be working things in your life to restore you. The second part of that is bringing another person into your mess. Someone you can trust. Someone that's not going to go blab your story to everybody around them. And you confess your sins to them so that you can be healed. You're forgiven when you confess it to God. You're healed when you confess it to another human being. 
That's just the, the order of things in this world. Uh, the next letter is N, no more guilt. This step begins to restore our confidence in our relationships and allows us to move on from our rearview mirror living. Um, and then in Romans 8.1, my number one favorite scripture of the Bible, we are assured that there is now no more condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. So you're saying, okay, the Bible's talking out of both sides of its mouth. On one side, it's saying that you're going to give an account. And on the other side, it says there's no more condemnation in Christ. It's both, ladies and gentlemen. It's both. Just like the gospel of grace is understanding that you are forgiven for whatever junk that you get yourself into um, and whatever messes you create. But that's never a license to sin that God's grace and God's law always travel down the road in parallel like a set of railroad tracks. One is just as important as the other. One should reflect the other, honestly. If you're truly living in God's grace and have revelation of what it took to, for Jesus to earn that grace, then your response to that should be a lifestyle toward holiness. And that looks different for everybody, but you know, God knows your heart and he knows who you're trying to become. The con is over. We have followed God's direction on how to confess our wrongs. Four very positive things start to happen after we fess up. Uh, F, face the truth. Recovery requires honesty. We always say you're only as healthy as your secrets. After we complete this principle, we can allow the light of God's truth to heal our hurts, hangups, and habits. We stop denying our true feelings. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John 8, 12. And then in John 8, 32, he said, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Uh, some translations say make you free. I love that. You will know the truth and the truth will make you free. When you understand the truth about who you are, and we get that from the Bible, first of all, and through, you know, um, psychology and through programs like this that take a deep dive into who the truth of who we are, you know, what that looks like, understanding that truth, that's one. And then the second truth, which is way more important, is understanding you know, God's truth about us, understanding how he truly views us, sees us, and loves us. Those are the two truths I always harp on uh, in recovery that we need to know and have a revelation knowledge of to have any hope of peace and satisfaction in this world. The next letter is E, ease the pain. <laughs> Imagine we just said this. We are only as sick as our secrets. Uh, when we share our deepest secrets, we divide the pain and the shame. We begin to see a healthy self-worth develop, uh, one that is no longer based on the world standards, but on those of Jesus Christ. Psalms 32, verses 3 through 5 say, There was a time when I couldn't admit that I was a sinner, but my dishonesty made me miserable and filled my days with frustration. Uh, how many of us can attest to that? You can raise your hand, keep your other hand on the steering wheel. My strength evaporated like water on a sunny day until I finally admitted all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide them. I said to myself, I will confess them to the Lord, and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. 
maybe we need to just review that one more time. There was a time when I wouldn't admit what a sinner I was, but my dishonesty made me miserable and filled my days with frustration. My strength evaporated like water on a sunny day until I finally admitted all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide them. I said to myself, I will confess them to the Lord, and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. Again, Psalms 32, 3 through 5. And I'm just going to let that stand on its own. It does not need any help interpreting that. Next letter is S, stop the blame. We cannot find peace, serenity, peace and serenity if we continue to blame ourselves or others. Our secrets have isolated us from each other. They have prevented intimacy in all our relationships. Yeah, the blame game is very dangerous. Matthew 7.23 says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye? This is Jesus talking, by the way. And fail to notice the plank in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, let me get that speck out of your eye when there's a plank in your own eye? Take the plank out of your own eye first, and then you can see clearly enough to remove your brother's speck of dust. I've heard people twist this scripture around 16 different ways on Sundays. <laughs> it's 16 different ways to Sunday, but on Sundays is much, much more comedic value in that. Um, because that's typically when you hear these kind of messages. A lot of people will use this saying, hey, don't judge me, man. You know, get the sawdust out of your own eye. And that may be true. You may need to get the sawdust out of your own eye. But according to this scripture, it says, take the plank out of your own eye first. Once you've done that, once you've gotten into recovery, you've been working the program, you've been through a step study, you're a sponsor now, you've been in the program several years, you have a track record of good decision making and, and stable emotional psychological health, you have removed the plank from your eye per se. And then Jesus goes on to say, then you can see clearly enough to remove your brother's speck of dust. So you're still commanded to help your brother with his speck of dust, with the things that are jacking him up. And I've heard guys use this as the don't judge me scripture. And I was like, no, that's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying judge, you know, correctly. Get your own life in order. Earn the right to speak into someone else's life. Then you will be able to see clearly how do you see clearly? From having the program embedded in your DNA, having the Bible embedded in your DNA, being bananas for Jesus, following the leading of the Holy Spirit, being able to operate under the gift of discernment. That's how you can see clearly enough to remove your brother's speck of dust. In some cases, you need to remove a plank from your eye so you can be the lifeline that your brother needs because he's got like a whole lumber yard in his eye. Not just a speck of dust. So we're called, and that's, you know, step 12. You know, we're called to give back, pay it forward. Next letter, S, start accepting God's forgiveness. Once we accept God's forgiveness, we can look others in the eye. Uh, we understand ourselves and our past actions in a new light. Uh, we are ready to find the humility to exchange our shortcomings in principle five. For God was in Christ, restoring the world to himself, no longer counting men's sins against them, but blotting them out, 2 Corinthians 5.19. That is super, super huge. For God was in Christ, restoring the world to himself, restoring you to himself. Yeah, you with all the jacked up hidden sin that no one knows about. 
you who are living the double life of porn addiction. You don't think anybody knows. No one at work knows. Your wife don't know. You're deleting all your browser history every time, and you're covering your tracks really well, which isn't that exhausting? I mean, really? Isn't it to have to hide that junk? Come on, man. Get real. But God looked into your sin and looked into your situation through Christ and was restoring you to himself, removing the stain of sin from your life when you choose to accept Christ, when you choose to believe in his redemptive work at Calvary. And then he goes on to say that he's no longer counting men's sins against them, but blotting them out. It says he will take your sin that is you know, red as crimson and make it white as wool, white as freshly fallen snow. This is the tough one, guys. This is out of all this stuff in this whole lesson. This is the thing that jacks me up more than anything else is believing that God has forgiven me. I mean, I believe it superficially, maybe even have it on a bumper sticker. You know, Jesus loves me. You know, we say it so much inside of Christian circles, we're kind of desensitized to what it really means. God loves you, and he just doesn't love you. He likes you. He likes who you're trying to become because you never stop running to his throne of grace, restoration, and healing in your time of need. He doesn't just love the good little boys and girls that get it right all the time. Because I got news for you, they're not getting it right all the time either. It's a total facade. It's completely, you know, wearing a mask and being on a high horse and all that junk. None of us have it all together. We're all broken. We're just broken in different ways. And some of us hide it better than others. I am not one of them people, you know, and probably why some people struggle to deal with me because I kind of just, you know, live it all out loud, you know. It's just who I am. I don't know how to do it any other way. You know, it's not like I'm trying to be a jerk or I'm trying to be, you know, this, you know, you know, hard ass guy that it just keeps it real all the time. I mean, that is kind of how it plays out, but it's not intentional. It's just how I'm wired. And I, you know, told myself and lied to myself and told myself that God could never love someone like me for so long that I can't be quiet about the fact that he loves me right now in the messed up state of who I am this very second. In Isaiah 53, 5, it says, the chastisement of my peace was upon him. When Jesus was on the cross, he was looking 2,200 years into the future, seeing Jr. screw up. Sometimes totally get lost in his anger and frustration and the cares of this world. I'm no different than anybody else. I'm jacked up, man. But, you know, I'm trying to figure it out, and I'm trying to do what's right. But I'm sure is not going to just sit here and act like I'm going to be quiet about it. I wasn't quiet about my sin. I lived that out in front of everybody, posted all over Facebook and everything else. Why would I be quiet about the fact that God loves me just the way I am, that he loves me right where I'm at? I may not be where he wants me to be. And he definitely always be desiring to take me to my next higher level of good. But if I can't believe that he likes me and wants to be my friend, that he understands my suffering, and he understands why I screw up better than I do, there's enormous amounts of compassion that gets ignited in your relationship with God. 
and I'm not going to be quiet about it, you know, and that makes some people, you know, uncomfortable. But hey, man, it is what it is. You can push me to arm's length and, you know, whatever. I don't care. I don't care. I'm over here. It does My journey, and I've just had to say this to a couple of my sponsees here lately, our journey doesn't have to make sense to anyone but us. It's us and God that way. And I'm not pushing a Lone Ranger mentality because you need to be connected with a sponsor and with accountability people, with a recovery group or some kind of discipleship group, not just your Sunday morning cookie cutter, you know, put a nice little bow on everything and everything's all fine and good and we're good church going Christians. I know a whole bunch of you people go to church every Sunday morning who are absolute heathens during the week, so you ain't fooling me. And guess what? I'm not going to be quiet about that either. I might keep my mouth shut until the time comes, but if the door of opportunity opens, I am going to bust you clean out. Because this is a life and death situation. If we can't get people to understand God's forgiveness, we're lost, man. That is the absolute fundamental, you know, foundation that everything stands on in Christianity. Forgiveness through Christ Jesus, believing that Christ's sacrifice was enough. And when you choose to self-mutilate and hate yourself for all the junk you've done and blame yourself and and just destroy yourself, that is an absolute mockery of Christ's work on the cross. Because basically what you're saying is, Jesus, your, your work on the cross was not enough to cover my sin. I need to make myself suffer. I need to feel really bad about this. Listen, we're going to feel bad about sin no matter how we shake it. You don't need to pour gasoline onto that fire to somehow atone for your sins. That's not how it's laid out in the Word. God fixed this. He fixed all this. And playing those cookie-cutter little Christian Sunday morning games is not getting anybody anywhere. All it's doing is feeding the narrative that Christians are weak-minded, high-horse people who think they're better than everybody else. I got news for you. There's going to be a whole lot of people in heaven that you didn't think was going to make it. And on the other side of that, there's going to be a whole lot of people who didn't make it to heaven that you thought was going to make it. This is your journey, ladies and gentlemen, your journey. It's between you and God and your sponsor and your inner circle people who support you. Stop believing the lies of self-sufficiency. Stop believing the lies of condemnation. Confess your sins, own them, and move on with your life. Don't let the worry of yesterday, I'm sorry, the shame of yesterday and the worry of tomorrow rob you of today. Feel free to put that on the back of your minivan. Last scripture, and then we're going to jump into the questions here because I'm about ready to preach a revival up in this mug. 1 John 1, 9, but if we confess our sins, here we go. If we confess our sins, uh, he will forgive us our sins. Because we can trust God to do what is right. He will cleanse us from all wrongs we have done. I believe the New King James says all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 9. There it is. Right there. Don't get mad at me. I didn't write the Bible. That was God. You have to be able to accept the fact that God is okay with you, man. And he just wants to sit down at the table and wants to talk with you and wants to help you figure it out and try to call you to the next level of good in your life. And he uses people to do that. So quit being so resistant to the people that he sends into your life. 
Even enemies have a purpose in our life. It challenges everything we believe and forces us to dig deeper into understanding what it is we claim is our core values. So let's write about it now. What wrongs, resentments, and secret sins are keeping you uh, awake at night? Wouldn't you like to get rid of them? You need to list those. Number two, what value do you see in confessing and coming clean of the wreckage of your past? And guys, the other side of that whole conversation about, you know, confessing your sins and believing God has forgiven us and he likes us and he loves us is learning to love yourself because that's the next step past that. And that was the hardest thing that I had to work through and still working through every day, still working through, believing that I'm worthy of love and that you know it's okay for me to love myself. I'm not being some egotistical, you know, jerk. I'm just trying to love myself and I'm trying to take care of me and I'm trying to make me a priority in my life. Maybe for some of you for the first time in your life, because it was the first time in my life when I, you know, got a hold of this. Question three, as you obey God's directions for confession, what results do you expect God to produce in your life? Number four, what freedom do you feel because of the words in Romans 8, 1 and Romans 3, 23 and 24? What specific, what specifically do the phrases no condemnation and not guilty mean to you? Let me read that again. What specifically do the phrases no condemnation and not guilty mean to you? Question five, after you complete principle four, you will find four areas in your life begin to improve. You will be able to face the truth, ease the pain, stop the blame, and start accepting God's forgiveness. In what areas of your life will each of these four um, positive changes help you recover? Uh, and it's, It lists, how can I be more honest? You need to write about that. How can I ease my pain? You need to write about that. How can I stop blaming? You can write about that. That should be a short story. Maybe, you know, New York Times bestseller. Can I accept God's forgiveness because of fill in the blank? Blame is the absolute cancer of confession. We're not really truly confessing anything if we're saying, well, I did this because this person was that, or, you know, I was, you know, the jerk I was because, you know, my wife was this or my husband was that or, you know, I struggle with pornography because my wife doesn't like sex or, you know, fill in the blank, man, because there's so many lies out there. It's absolutely mind blowing the junk that the enemy tries to throw at us. If you'd like a little bit of reading homework, I would highly suggest C.S. Lewis's uh, book called The Screwtape Letters. It's a fictional book about a demon writing to his demon commander about the lies and the junk that they're constantly feeding uh, this Christian man, trying to get him to fall and trying to tempt him. And there is some seriously hardcore, crazy cool stuff in that. Uh, and that will definitely unravel you know, some of this for you and give you a better revelation of just how the enemy is working so feverishly against us. You know, he is the ruler of this world. You know, Jesus said it. It's a fact. And we are living in a world of death and decay. This world is slowly progressing each and every day toward a deeper level of death and decay until Christ's return, which he will purify the earth and make everything new. 
It says in Psalms that all of creation cries out in agony as a woman does in birthing pains for the lifting of the curse from the Garden of Eden. You know, we weren't the only ones cursed. This whole earth was cursed because we were made king and ruler of this world when we were created in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve were the king and queen of earth, not God's, the king and queen of earth. And when they disobeyed God and ate the forbidden fruit and acted out in pride, they surrendered that kingship to Satan. And that began a long, century-long series of layers of death playing out against humanity over and over and over and over again. And we have seen some absolutely atrocious and horrible stuff throughout the human history. And I don't think that we're so technologically advanced and socially enlightened now that that can't happen again. But uh, I sure hope and pray it doesn't. But you read books like the Fox's Book of Martyrs, you know, and things like that. And you read how the Christians were persecuted under the rule of Nero in Rome. And it's absolutely mind-boggling, you know, um, crazy, crazy stuff. The church has been, you know, the perpetrator in a lot of atrocities against true believers. Uh, The Catholic Church has a lot of blood on their hands that way. You know, that's what spawned the whole Reformation and the Protestant movement. Um, So there's nothing new, guys. There's nothing new going on here. You know, technology lubricates the process. I'll give you that. But, you know... It says, and Solomon wrote about men being lured by prostitutes and, you know, uh, loose women. There was one instance uh, in Proverbs, I can't remember what chapter it was. I'm horrible with that. It's probably why I'm not a a pastor of a church, because I have a hard time remembering where everything is in the Bible. I remember the Bible, just struggle to remember where it's at. It doesn't help that you're dyslexic and have learning disabilities, but God has worked through all that junk to do his work in my life, so I'm good with it. But yeah, there's a place in Proverbs where he was talking about looking through the lattice of his palace at these young men who were being deceived by a, a married woman, a married woman who said, my husband has left and taken his purse with him to do you know, business abroad. And it's going to be gone for several days. Why don't you come home with me and we'll kind of get our freak on for the next couple of days. You know, we'll, we'll do our thing until dawn. And it's this whole poetic you know, thing. The enemy always sugarcoats poison. He always has this creepy candy coating on all kinds of poison. So um, there's nothing new. You know, this is all the same junk that, you know, people were dealing with in Jesus's day in the Old Testament. The enemy is the same, you know. Now is what he was then. He's pulling the same tactics now that he was pulling then. He just has different means by which he executes those things. So let's pray out. Heavenly Father, I thank you for loving us when we 100% do not deserve to be loved. Uh, Lord, I pray that you reveal our sin to us each and every day. And Lord, I know that's a mouthful. But I do, Lord. I pray that you continue to reveal our sin to ourselves so that we never could be on a high horse, so we can always stay humble and 100% dependent on you. Help us, Lord, with the struggles of this world. Help us to navigate our days in in a holy way. Help us to be people your glory can shine through. Help us, Lord, to just love ourselves 
give ourselves a break from time to time. Help us to hit the reset button after we've had a whole day of just chronic failure spiritually. Help us to always keep our focus on you and our motives toward holiness. Lord, I thank you for all these things. In the mighty name of your beautiful son, Jesus, we all said, Amen. If you have found value in this podcast, please consider giving to this ministry. The Truth Labyrinth is only one aspect of Restoration Ministries. We raise money regularly for needy people right here in our own community. Just this past Christmas season, we raised over $1,000 for a woman struggling with spinal cancer and was able to bring hope to someone who had lost all hope. Uh, We've bought handicap vans for the disabled. We paid utility bills for single moms. And uh, we've paid for hundreds of casual meals for those who were in need of one-on-one counseling, but uncomfortable with an office environment. Listen, guys, sometimes it's much easier for someone to open up and ask for help over a meal than it is to walk into a counselor's office and lay on a couch. God has and is using Restoration Ministries in ways that break traditional church protocol. I personally believe we have to earn the right to speak into someone's life, and it takes time to build those bridges, many times unraveling years of church hurt and dysfunction. This is what Christian ministries should look like in today's world. God should be glorified through our efforts to help the world around us, but it takes resources to do these things. For years, I've paid for a lot of these things out of my own pocket without hesitation. Or I've organized a benefit concert or some kind of fundraising campaign to provide these services for the people that God puts in my pathway. I will continue to give to these causes with everything that I have, but I need your support. It takes money and time to produce this podcast. Many hours go into praying over and organizing these messages. Not to mention actually recording the messages and all the post-production editing and stuff that needs to happen with that. This ministry isn't about building an empire. It's about connecting hungry hearts with the fruit of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I have no aspirations of becoming some wealthy preacher or tycoon ministry leader. I am content with the world that I live in, and my little world is pretty peaceful and satisfying. I definitely don't need the drama that comes along with big ministry and tycoon leadership egos. I'm just trying to make my tiny little piece of the world better. I need your support. So please pray about supporting this ministry financially. I will post links in the notes of this podcast so that you can send your gift online. Next, please subscribe to this podcast and leave a review so others can see what's going on here, especially your five-star reviews. Uh, The more you review us, the higher we rank in search listings, and this allows people to discover us easier. Finally, please pray for this ministry. Pray God will provide for our needs here at the Truth Labyrinth. Pray that God will bring this podcast across the screens of those that need to hear these messages. The Bible tells us that God's ear is upon the lips of the righteous. Guys, He hears our prayers. And we need His constant guidance for each and every podcast and everything that Restoration Ministries does. So pray that He uses this podcast to turn hearts of stone into hearts of flesh 
and that his truth will turn those hearts toward his eternal mercy and grace. Hey, thanks for listening to this podcast. My prayer is that it blessed you and brought you a fresh understanding of our lives in this world and our need for unity in Christ. A brush fire of revival in Jesus Christ is our only hope for satisfaction and true joy as we walk out the human experience that is our day-to-day lives. It's been my sincere honor to be your host today at the Truth Labyrinth Podcast. Be blessed and be a blessing to those around you. Till next time, I leave you with a scripture from Ephesians 6, 23 and 24. Peace be with you, dear brothers and sisters, and may God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you love with faithfulness. May God's grace be eternally upon all who love our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank <laughs> you.